the Onyx Pathcast. My name is Matthew Dawkins, and I am joined not by my usual co-hosts, Eddie and Dixie. I have locked them out as it is winter. I have locked the doors. I don't know which one of them is infected with the thing. By the thing? I'm not sure. Actually, I'll ask Lauren. Lauren Roy is with me, uh, who is a developer of many, many things, and a writer of many, many things, some of which we will tell you about in the course of this interview. But before we get into the grand introduction, Lauren, would you be infected with the thing or by the thing? Gosh, I want to say by the thing. I feel like the thing is doing an action there. Well, that's, that's the question. You, right? Because is the thing kind of... If the thing is, I guess, getting inside you, as it were, <laughs> uh, you are becoming the thing. So... I guess it, the question then becomes, is are multiple things in the thing separate things, oh. or is it all one hive thing? That is that is a fantastic question. I'm mm. I'm gonna st- I'm gonna stick to my guns and say infected by, but I, okay. I can see that I can see the argument for with. Well, it's uh, interesting that it may be interesting <laughs> <laughs> that uh, this podcast starts with that immediate digression. Because just before we started recording, we were speaking a little about the Contagion Chronicle. And uh, while this episode is Aegis-focused, so do not despair, Trinity Continuum fans, uh, we will speak about that as well. Uh, It is not the only game you are on. Uh, And Contagion Chronicle Global Outbreaks is one. Why not tell us about some of the other books you are working on presently or have worked on recently? Sure. I, um, as a developer, am uh, currently working on, let's see, uh, Tome of the Pentacle just went over to Layout mm. um, for Mage the Awakening. I always have to do that pause because I've also worked on Mage the Ascension. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have actually worked on them both at the same time, and I feel terrible for my developers because, goodness, <laughs> did, I, did I confuse terms. Um, we've got Changeling the Hedge is back from editing, so we're get, going forward on that. Um, uh, gosh, so much Scion stuff, Wild Hunt, the Demigod Companion. Um, uh, uh, Writing-wise, I'm uh, about to jump into Abyssals. For Exalted. That's very exciting. Those are some of my favorites. What am I? I'm, I'm sure I am missing things. I'm sure you are. But that's going to be like, why didn't you pick my thing? <laughs> but that's all right. And well, one thing I also want to cover, and I did this with uh, Steffi Devan when I interviewed her last month regarding Legend Law. It's because we usually leave this until the end of the interview for people to self-promote, and I think that's a bit unfair, because people start switching off by that point. So is there anything in particular you are working on that doesn't have to be Onyx Path-related, or that you have released something that you worked on that you're particularly proud of that you would love it if people could check out? Oh, sure. Um, I I do scribble out books of my own. I have... uh... Two books from an urban fantasy series that are out about a vampire who runs a bookstore and her, um, her late night bookstore, of course, because she's a vampire. Yeah. Um, and her sort of <laughs> ragtag crew of monster hunters. Um, and I am looking forward in the start of the year to getting back to a novel about a uh, an aging rock band who's going back, getting back together after their, uh, you know, they've, they've been broken up for a while, but part of the reason for their fame was they had sold their souls to the devil and now they want to get the, their band back together. Ah, and do they have their souls back or is this going to be part of the plot? Are they, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's part, part of the plot and uh, one of the complicating factors is the drummer is dead and they kind of want him back. Ah, 
<laughs> so wait, the drummer's always the first to go of Spinal Tap. Of course, yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, you are, I think it's fair to say, one of the most prolific creators we have working for Onyx Path on a freelance basis. That's a mouthful. Uh, I could condense it and just say, you're often busy. I write a lot of stuff. Yeah. And so to get into get into the mind of Lauren Roy. <laughs> That's ha- dangerous, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> how do, how do you how do you juggle this many projects for this many different lines, especially when you start talking, as you just were, mage wise, different terms, uh, mechanics as well with very subtle differences. Mm-hmm. How does an author like Lauren Roy organize her day? <laughs> it's it's sweet that you think I'm organized. <laughs> well, I mean, you could just say I don't. <laughs> There's a lot of crying. No, <laughs> um, I've actually been trying to you know be better about that because there you know there was a time where it was just like what is in my inbox that is most urgent. Oh God, it's got to get done. Mm. Um, but actually, over over 2020, we had a lot of um, you know the freelancers. Eddie was very kind to do stand up meetings with us, which is you know you get together in the morning, anybody who wants to join in and say, here's what I'm working on, here's what I did yesterday, um, you know here's here's what's what's tough for me today. Yeah. And it kind of taught me we we don't do it so much anymore, um, but it's taught me to sort of assess. Okay, what do I what do I need to get done? Um, and I've been using either a bullet journal because I am very, um, I am, I am an old and I like to write (laughs) things down longhand. (laughs) I mean, you're a kinesthetic learner, I'm told. Yes. Yes. And also I have uh, a fountain pen collection now, which is terrible. Don't get started. They're amazing. Um, and so I like to, to actually, it's a nice feeling to write with, you know, pretty colors and, and whatever, but I, you know, a combination of that and online tracking, Google calendar, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing I've learned is that I am not great at switching gears between systems. <laughs> <laughs> and so I really do have to stick, you know, when I'm writing down what I'm going to do for that day, if I, if I'm going to work on two different projects, I need to put an hour or two in between. Yeah. Just to kind of get my brain to, you know, leave off of one so I can start on the other and not be mm. throwing out the wrong terms or the wrong mechanics. Or, you know, story path is is what skill plus attribute where, you know, Chronicles of Darkness is attribute plus skill and making sure even I get those things in the right order. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, and it's I mentioned at the front end of this chat, this interview, that you've been working on Contagion Chronicle books. Mm-hmm. And I mean, speaking for myself as the developer of the Contagion Chronicle, I found the juggling of game lines within a single book a fairly horrendous task. <laughs> uh, I mean, it was by no means easy. I, I still class it as probably the hardest book I've had to develop in a way that was, I guess, satisfactory and accurate. Yeah, I, I definitely had a lot of PDFs open to the point my computer was starting to wheeze. Yeah. Um, from <laughs> switch, switching back and forth. And, you know, sometimes even with those, there are so many terms that are specific to the various lines mm. that, you know, if you if you use the word, uh, if, if you use the word awake, when you're talking about a werewolf thing, you're not actually, you know, it's not capitalized. You're not talking about a mage yep. thing, but you have to be very careful not to accidentally imply something about another game line in, within that context. 
Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, yeah. Especially as we have a tendency, especially with Chronicles and World of Darkness, to 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 take innocuous words and make them somehow fanciful and in mm-hmm. and game terms. So yeah, like awake or awakening or embrace. Embrace. You, yep. you, you can never describe a vampire hugging someone as embracing them, even Absolutely though not. even if you don't put the capital E on it, it people will still infer from it that they're biting their neck. Yep. Uh, <laughs> turning them <laughs> undead. Uh, so, with all that said, the many troubles of being a writer, especially a prolific one, uh, that is not the only reason we're here to talk today, as you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not to get a bit murder mystery, you're wondering why I invited you. Here. <laughs> uh, and it is to discuss uh, the Trinity Continuum's newest offering, Aegis. Now, listeners, I know very little about Aegis. My, my Trinity involvement, the deepest I got was with Aether, of course, because mm-hmm. I developed that one. Uh, but I am by no means an expert on Trinity, and because I have all the other game lines under my bracket to look after, I don't always keep up with what's going on with Trinity. So much of what Lauren is going to tell me is going to be new to my ears. So if I react with excitement or befuddlement, that's genuine. <laughs> no pressure. Yeah. Uh, or just plain, plain ignorance. That's a possibility as well. We'll try and edit it out as much as possible. Uh, so I guess the, the best way to start is elevator pitch synopsis. What is Trinity Continuum Aegis about? So Trinity Continuum Aegis is, I believe, our very earliest Trinity Continuum setting, or will be our very earliest setting. Um, it takes place in ancient Greece, and at the uh, you know a few years before the the game itself begins, uh, something lit up the sky over Mount Olympus one night. And uh, was was it a falling star? Was it a chariot from the gods? We don't really know, but it impacted the mountain, and uh, these pools of uh, a strange golden liquid that the people called ambrosia started appearing um, and people who interacted with it gain uh, weird and interesting powers that uh, sometimes make them like you know the heroes that you hear about like you know jason or odysseus sometimes mm-hmm. they make them have powers that are more on like a godly level no oh. And uh, and where do the let's say the mythological monsters of such tales fit in? Are they also people who have dabbled with ambrosia, or do they come from elsewhere? They have. It, it depends. The answer to that is yes, um, <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of them do come from interacting with ambrosia. Yes, it, yeah. they, you know they wander into the pools, and and you know a, a lion or or whatever interacts with this pool and and suddenly it's it's it has a snake huge for a tail and monstrous and, and yeah <laughs> snake tailed and eating people and rampaging through the countryside and now you have to get some heroes together to go to go put a stop to that or figure out what went wrong or I, i'm sure there are are people who would love to make friends with it you can do that too mm-hmm. <laughs> um there are also characters the, the so the the three tiers of characters are uh, champions, which are like the kind of kind of like the talent level characters in um in the Continuum Core or Trinity Core. Um, then there's oracles who have the sort of weird fate 
binding, and I don't want to say fate binding, because one thing we do try to do with this book is differentiate it from Scion. I feel like yeah. I should say that up front, too. Um, so they have weird, you know, witchy fate-like powers. They can control the weather. They can predict your future. Um, and then there are the Olympians who are, you know, hurling lightning around and, and picking up boars like it's nothing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then throwing them. Presumably. And then throwing them. That's yeah. what you do. Well, I mean, I would run away if someone was throwing a boar at me. I think it's totally... <laughs> That's terrifying. You don't it's like it's an underrated ranged weapon, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> if it takes you out, it's going to be... If it doesn't take you out, it's going to be real mad when it gets up. So <laughs> you've got two problems. So, well, I, I assume as we are playing around in ancient Greece, uh, are you taking... How much of this is historical, I guess, in setting, and how much of this is mythological? Um, we are very clear that it's not a history book, but mm. it does. You know, we absolutely the the opening chapter gives you an idea of of what's what's going on in the setting, where the world is at that point. It's right on the cusp of the um, the Bronze Age collapse. So yeah. you know, at, at some point in history, there was this this height of you know art and learning and literature, and then everything kind of fell apart, and nobody really agrees on why. Um, it is actually a, a real life mystery. There's a lot of theories about it, you know is this trade the routes. People across the sea, the sea peoples the might sea have peoples, been. Yep. That's it, yeah. But nobody really surely knows who they are either. You mm. can find like records of them in in ancient Egyptian, you know records i'm repeating myself there i'm always editing my own my own words which is you know <laughs> terrible um, but you you can find references to them but it never says exactly who they are yeah um and you know that affected trade routes or you know it, it in there's certain um certain civilizations or certain um groups that that did fine for you know another few decades or even a couple hundred years but eventually it sort of made its way around the world and it's it's one of those things that you can explore in the game if you want to we don't have the answers for you but we'll give you some some ideas of what might have happened um and we we kind of you know took an eye an eye to that as we were working on the history of you know what's what's there that settles you in and kind of gives you you know here's the technology level um, yeah. But there were also really cool things. There were, you know, they had like heated floors in some parts of, of I think, Greece or Rome. <laughs> um, and which you wouldn't think of until that as being anything until like modern day. But no, it was a thing they had. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we also look around the world. It's not just centered on Greece. Um, so so we do go into um, into China. Um, we go up into uh, England um, down into Egypt. So there's, you know, the the event that happened did not just happen over Greece. It did affect areas around the world. So you can have characters from a whole lot of places. Uh, okay, so that's where I was going to go next, but you've answered me preemptively. Ah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I mean, uh, one of the things I always find most challenging as a developer is when we start go going globe trotting. Mm -hmm. uh, often, that's the work that takes the longest to write and develop for the sake of authenticity mm -hmm. uh, and and yeah to avoid stereotyping and so forth i exactly. suppose it's a little easier when dealing with ancient and especially mythological histories but you still want to make things feel true yes. to to the stories we hear or read about 
so so yeah, okay, that's very interesting. Yeah, um, and we do hmm. we do give permission that you know if there's if there's something because the the era that this the the collapse spans is it's something like three hundred years, and a lot of the the Greek myths that you read about happen sort of like just before that yeah. all starts. So if you if you want to be running around sailing with Jason and the Argonauts, you can do that. Like you have permission to kind of fudge some timelines and you know bring in bring in things that are maybe a little bit anachronistic into your game. Like nobody's gonna, nobody's going to come take your book away. <laughs> um, nobody's going to come to your table and go no. Um, so it's it's sort of a blend of of history and you know giving you permission to do the things that are cool at your table and the things that your your players might be like oh I read this really cool book or you know I I grew up thinking about this myth like you can you can play with that it's okay. Where do the gods, as we I guess well as as the Greeks would have thought of them back then, where where do they fit into all of this? Are they present on the stage? Uh, or uh, as deities, or is that too scion for Trinity? We try to veer away from it a bit. They're they're there as much as you want them to be in your game, but the the bulk of the book is written really without godly interference. Um, yeah. Aside from how the characters interpret them, you know, if they're mm. if they're pulling lightning from the sky and they either believe that they've been blessed by Zeus or that maybe Zeus might be their dad or, mm -hmm. uh, you know, maybe, Hey, maybe I am Zeus. Um, that is totally how your characters interpret, um, the, the role of the gods. Yeah. Um, you know, religion is absolutely a thing. We have a group that's called the Delphic league, which are the oracles. So they are, they are priests and priestesses and, you know, belief is absolutely valid in the setting. And that's, honestly probably how a lot of the characters are interpreting the things that are happening to them is this this must be the gods doing something yeah um but they're not they're not going to come down from mount olympus and and come talk to you um at least not you know not not in the 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 majority of what we've got set up the the story guiding chapter does go a little bit into if you want to dial up the amount of gods in the game and what they do and how they affect it you totally can and here's how mm -hmm. um but generally no it's it's very much about the people and the heroes and what does it mean what does it mean to be a person with this immense godlike power how does that affect you how does it affect your community your relationships yeah so one of the I guess major character creation points in Trinity games comes down to society or group or allegiance or mm -hmm. you know that that's uh, I guess the social construct that allows you to identify yourself as part of a, I guess a subculture or or something that's going to bind you to both other player characters and story guide characters. So mm -hmm. what kind of societies are we dealing with in ancient Greece at this time? Um, well, we have, we have some very cool ones. I was, I'm super proud of this chapter. Um, the, the writers just, I mean, everybody in the book knocked it out of the park. I gotta say that, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I did like this chapter a lot because they got really creative. So we have, um, the, the society of the lion, which are the, one of the main groups that kind of have their base in and around Mount Olympus. Um, because the thing is ambrosia can be dangerous, right? We've, you know, talked about how, animals can wander into it and come out a monster. Um, so the, the society of the lion protects the ambrosia and sort of 
restricts access to who can you can't just you know now at first when when everything first happened anybody who found a pool could just you know kind of go splash around in it but now it's like mm, you have to prove that you're worthy and that you're ready for this and do they uh, are they seen in the setting as a responsible i guess security entity or is it very much a corruptible they're 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 good guys um Mm -hmm. we you know they're um they're doing this so that so that you don't get a bunch of rampaging monsters but also they're they're studying it they kind of want to know what it is what's happened where did it come from um and they also take what they've learned and use that to help the people around them um so it's very much a you know a group of people who are trying to trying to do their best that is a lovely parallel to Edison's Unwinders mm-hmm. in Aether, who likewise want to restrict access to Aether, ostensibly to protect the ignorant and unenlightened, but mm-hmm. mostly so that they can sell it <laughs> to, <laughs> to, <laughs> to people, uh, their, their select clientele. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's a nice divergence there, but but I do like seeing parallels throughout the eras because there's often a society like this, a protective group that wants to ensure flux or aether or what have you isn't widespread uh, among the the teeming masses, as it were. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, their motives are, are different in each each game. So yeah, that's that's lovely. Uh, so what what other societies are we dealing with? Um, we ha- we talked a little bit about the Delphic League, which are our oracles. Um, there are there's a group of explorers. Um, I'm I'm playing around with their name a little bit, so I, I don't have that for you at the moment. Um, so I I won't give you the whole list. We won't got, call them the Argonauts. Then <laughs> I I thought about it, and then I was like, eh, I don't know. That feels that feels. Maybe not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm trying not to be too on the nose, but yeah. um, but they are they're explorers. They are you know let's let's get some ships and let's go see what's out there and and you know get ourselves into some danger and and find what's cool that we can find. Um, there's the circle of heroes who are the monster hunters, um, and they're they're definitely kind of the ones who are who are more likely to be uh where we were asking about you know is the society doing this to you know keep other people out i think the circle of heroes are kind of more on that level mm-hmm. um and some of our counter societies are i there's one that i really adore it's the gorgons and uh you know they they kind of got a bad rep in in mythology you think of medusa turning turning people to stone and the uh the the writer had a really cool take on it which was like you know maybe maybe that's because other people told that story about them and they decided to to use that story to uh to help the people who've been you know outcast or or had terrible things said about them to kind of come find a new start uh, yeah, I do like a society of, of outcasts, a fringe group that mm-hmm. yeah, having suffered persecution probably turns it back back around on its uh, yep. oppressors. Yeah. Uh, so so yeah, going back to our talk of monsters, so this is the, likely the society where you're going to be seeing humanoid monsters, I guess, of of, of Greek myth. Yep, them and their sort of counterparts are the the Order of the Titans. Um who are more, um, you know, they're they're they've taken the names of the Titans, their leaders, upon themselves, and so they're also kind of like, oh, we're in it for ourselves. We've we've got our ambrosia. We're good. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, they're they're the ones who are going to be sort of eyeing the other societies. Like, well, when you when you get a little too big for your britches, we're going to be there. See now, now that I'm hearing about all of this, and and listen, I did, I did say there may be moments where I get excited, <laughs> uh, and this is one of them: the excitement and regret. Because one of the things I think we do very well, if I may say so, in Trinity is we we kind of put invisible threads in between each of the Trinity games mm-hmm. uh, as each subsequent as each subsequent one is released or written, I should say. We we tie in loose attachments that are there if you're looking for them, too aberrant to Aeon, to yep. the core, etc. And my only regret is that because, of course, we don't release everything simultaneously or work on everything simultaneously, we can't do it the other way round. Mm-hmm. Because now I'm thinking, wow, with this being a historic setting, how wonderful would it be to put seeds from this game link them up to things in Aether or, or oh, Aeon, yeah. um, which I guess, you know, you are doing retroactively uh, by by doing it in a historical setting. But yeah, there's there are things I would already change just minutely, tiny mm-hmm. details to, to connect to this. Uh, and yeah, well, that's good. I mean, yeah. that means it's got me thinking. Excellent, yeah. Uh, so how, and now... T- because I know a lot of people who listen to this uh, podcast and get into role-playing games do it primarily for the mechanical heft of it all. <laughs> yep. People love powers, mm-hmm. and there's certainly no lack of them in the Trinity games in forms of edges and gifts and such like. So what are we dealing with in Aegis in terms of the things that make you more than talented mortals? Sure. So, um, with the everything's like a little bit more, right? Because it's it's this sort of fantastic or, or you know high fantasy setting. Um, it, I, I I hesitate to. I feel like I need an asterisk on that though, because it is <laughs> it is still very much a Trinity game, right? Yeah. The uh, the the fantasy is is a lens. Um, so we you know. <laughs> Sorry, I totally <laughs> lost my train of thought. Did you hear it derail there? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just smashed like, into the barrier. It was, it was it's like, oh, I need to write that down. Hold on. All um, lives were lost. Right. <laughs> uh, so the, the, the power settings. There we go. Hello. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll keep this in. The caffeine it, is... it, it makes us seem human, Lauren. right? That, yeah, that's the, the point. The, the caffeine is my ambrosia, and my cup is nearly empty, is the problem. Um, <laughs> So the uh, the champions are, you know, like I said, the sort of lowest level of the heroes. But I never want to say that they're, you know, it's not like they're not powered. Their powers mm. are cool. They're the ones who are kind of going out and, uh, you know, fighting the monsters. And they're on the front lines and they're, they're doing impossible tasks. Um, and so their powers are, are similarly, you know, luck-based or, or skill-based. Um, and then you have the oracles whose power, the thing that I like about them is they... You know, you you read a lot of, uh, or when you read a lot of Greek tragedy, which was a lot of my high school for some reason, um, <laughs> it's it's one of those things where you can never really mess around with fate without fate going, hmm, what are you doing over there? Let me see how I can mess with you back. Um, and so the oracles understand that there is a give and take to power. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, if you do something, something else down the line is going to change and you only have so much control over it. You know, even if you... 
you call up a, a big storm to to knock your enemy's fleet off course, well, that storm, you know, before it peters out, might hit a place that you really wanted to protect, and now you've wrought havoc among the people that you care about. Yeah. Um. So they they have that you know that push and pull of what can I do? What what am I going to give up to get the thing that I want? Or what am I going to ask someone else to give up to prove to me that it's worth it? Um, which I, I think is just a really neat way to look at their power. And it's a, well, it's a different. It is different to the other Trinity games uh, mm-hmm. because we often play around with. And uh, listeners will have heard me say this in the Aether interview we did. Well, I don't know what order this is going out in, but I'm fairly certain Aether will come first. Mm-hmm. And where I'm talking about how having a cost to power is is just a narratively strong thing to do, you know, mm-hmm. it, that there is uh, less, I guess, drama if you can just pull a power out of your hat and never have to worry about the consequence. Yes. And the idea of effectively paying up front, uh, you know, as you say, choosing what you're going to sacrifice or what your followers mm-hmm. are going to sacrifice, what you're going to risk to to capitalize on this power is a really interesting way of going about it because yeah. it reverses the traditional, I guess, paradox backlash approach of, well, I'm going to use this and brace myself for what happens Mm -hmm. uh so yeah that's that's interesting it's very subtle difference but i I like it a lot yeah i think one of the one of the pieces of writing advice that i got and I, i can't even remember where i heard it but i've sort of always kept carried it with me is figure out what your character wants and then give it to them Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's just said with that like ominous like now yeah. what <laughs> now what are you gonna do with it buddy yeah so it, it's kind of it's kind of along those lines of you know here's this this huge massive power that i can wield but also where's my responsibility in that yeah yeah it's the old be careful what you wish for mm-hmm. which comes up quite a lot in greek myth mm-hmm. exactly yeah Okay, and uh, and I know that this uh, this is the kind of thing that appeals to me. It may not appeal to everyone, but if you have the chapter handy, mm-hmm. uh, do you have a few, I guess, example powers that that could be unleashed in oh, this sure. game? Yeah, I sure do. Um, uh, are they still oh, classified right. as gifts? In, they are still classified as gifts. Yeah, that okay. felt like a, in one of the things that we did too. Um, and I, I think this will stick, but you know, always the asterisk because we are we are in, in still in the developing phase. But um, the uh, there's a set of gifts that are called universal gifts that yeah. you know because you you know there's different power levels among the three of them, and they they manifest in in different ways. So we did a, a series of universal gifts that. Um, kind of anybody can take and they manifest differently. You know, they, they have the same name, but they manifest differently depending on if you're a uh, champion, Oracle or Olympian. Yeah. Um, and that way, you know, you don't have to have six different names for, for a thing that sort of does the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry, I'm, I'm doing my scrolls. That's all right. So yeah, um, on, in Aether, we, we do a similar thing with luck gifts, skill-based gifts. Mm-hmm. Uh, attribute based, and then we break it down a little further to uh, to aether gifts. So whether mm-hmm. a gift is something that a talent can access with or without aether, 
And of course, if it's a Magog one, that is one of the those gifts that you're likely to suffer some kind of repercussion, deviation from it. Mm-hmm. And I, I agree. I mean, keeping it under the same kinds of classification works. It makes sense. And what's more, by having universal gifts, while it may not be by intent, it helps fuel crossover. Yes. Uh, the I'm a big fan of introducing material that can, in theory, be used in another game. And so, especially when with Aether, we, and, and not just Aether, in fact, with Aberrant too, you have the possibility of time travel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and visiting these other eras, it means that you're buying, let's say, buying Aegis or buying Aeon doesn't mean you have to immediately set a game on either end of that yeah. uh, timeline. It means you can visit either end of that timeline and play around with some of the powers that are useful there or yeah. accessible there. Um, but yes, yeah, sorry, uh, I was uh, going to let you speak on a few of these powers. <laughs> no, you, you gave me a second there. Um, so, <laughs> Almost <laughs> so there's by one that, design. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's like you've done this before. Um, so one one of the ones that I like is it's it's called From My Travels. And, you know, when you're, when you're out on the road and, and visiting lots of places, you're going to pick up stuff and put it in your pack and, and luckily have it with you in the moment that you most need it. Um, and so it's it gives you some options of cool stuff that you have with you in a moment of need, mm. um, including a a blade from the Elysian Fields, mm. um, which lets you inflict some extra injury stunts against undead. Because yeah. by the way, we've got some undead. Um, <laughs> actually, one of the uh, go back to the one of the locations um, is Scandia, where the uh, weird effect that Ambrosia had on the land is that the dead don't stay laying down. Down those, those drow gear and uh, yep. yeah, well, <laughs> and so that's a problem. <laughs> yeah, especially when they start taking to longboats and sailing to Greece. Yep, and they they are they are on the you know coming and looking for help and seeing if anybody has any idea what's going on. So undead sea people. Oh, now now you're now speaking we know my what they happened. came from language. <laughs> Crossover time. <laughs> <laughs> um. There are, oh, there's a feather from a distant land. So, you know, you can, uh, it, it, you let it go. And if somebody's lying, it just drops. And it's, it's probably not subtle, but, but mm-hmm. that's going to make a statement. It's going to give you that dramatic moment. Yeah. Um, and it, it's, it's cool. The, per, the person who wrote this gift took a bunch of different, like, you know, there's the waters of Lethe. So you can, you know, make somebody forget for a little while. Yeah. And things like that. Um, that's lovely the the fact that they tie into not just greek myths as you say it is a global game while greece is Mm -hmm. probably the center of the earth and i guess uh the the sense of the way it's presented it's it's good to be able to take from i assume the feather is from egyptian Mm-hmm. Uh, mythology and to lean a little on the old Norse myths uh, it's yeah there's a lot of potential there for things not just in the Rage of Power but also artifacts and, and creatures and when you when you consider how difficult travel was in that just post Bronze Age era mm-hmm. 
as soon as you start giving characters access to abilities that allow them to travel further, it yep. really does. It doesn't just open up the world. Though that's kind of apparent, but it's it allows you to interact with the world and influence the world in a way that a just a purely historical game would not. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that that is very interesting to me, both from a design and a play perspective. Yeah. Just it, of course, I'm now going through the file like, oh, and this is cool, and this is cool, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know. And, and the the neat thing is that it sort of does take all of the various, obviously, because it's a, it's a Trinity game. It's going to take the various skills into effect. Yeah. Um, so there are powers where you can like mess with some dreams because that's you know another Oracle E thing. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got Olympian powers where you kind of, you know, make yourself super huge, um, you know, kind of as, as big as a giant. So if you want to, you know, smash through a wall or pluck somebody off of the second story of a building um, just by, you know, reaching up, you can do that. Um, you can, you can mess with people's fate a little bit again with that caveat of careful how you do it. Yeah. Yeah. That's always a nice <laughs> thing to do. Yep. Um, well, and, I suppose you could yeah. be doing it benevolently if yeah. you see someone's death approaching. Yep. Steer that, steer yeah, it off course. Go some other way. Yep. But exactly. as we know, um, if you steer death away, it will take someone else to make yep. up for the absence. So, so yeah. you got to be careful. Mm. Um, and also, you know, the, on on the, along the lines of you're going to be meeting people from from other cultures and how do you communicate with them we've got a couple of powers that let you do that um you know you might not instantly understand them but it gives you some ways to to better communicate with them and and get the some of the nuance of what you're saying across yeah well i imagine because i'm i've sort of been playing through the imaginary layout of this book in my head and after (laughs) we're getting past this we're probably fast approaching setting secrets Mm -hmm. and so we probably shouldn't discuss any of those at this stage of book development right but i can Uh, give you one cool thing and it's actually it's not a secret it's in it's in the first chapter that that i it's a location that uh we haven't touched on yet that i'm also very excited about oh which is atlantis Yeah, we've got it. Atlantis is in the game. It was uh, kind of around and doing things before the Ambrosia fell. And there's this really strange uh, time loop effect going on that it, it, you know, it's, it's a power on the horizon and stuff keeps happening. Oh, very interesting. Yeah. So it's a spot you can, you can explore, but you're, they, they are sort of, going to be a thorn in the greek side if they can yeah yeah well we can't get away from those atlanteans the right? atlantis does seem to crop up an awful lot <laughs> appears from the waves yep uh but it is appropriate here that's for sure mm-hmm. uh, is uh, atlantis supposed to be a, a city or civilization that the greeks in ages are aware of or you know are they a recent threat or have they been around for some time They've been around for some time. We've left it a little bit nebulous whether they are, you know, currently at war. They're mostly sort of like, we have our cool stuff over here and we don't mm-hmm. want to share our secrets with you. So why don't you stay over there? Yeah. Um, but people have definitely gone and, and tried to explore. It's just a question of whether they come back. Mm. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, we're going to have to have uh, Atlantis from Mage. They came from beneath the sea. <laughs> And I think we've even got Atlanteans in Aether. <laughs> <laughs> They're all going to have to fight it out. 
Yeah, uh, who, who are the tr- no true Atlantean, I think, right. is, is the way it will be by the 21st century. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure what side I would be on, because I'm the one who, in the uh, the second edition Mage Core, I wrote the appendix on Atlantis, so I'm like, oh no, I have to pick, I have to pick a favorite. <laughs> <laughs> well, we do like our uh, mythological civilizations. Mm-hmm. There aren't enough of them, that's the problem. Oh, we can invent more. Yeah, well, that's that's the, that's the joy of myth, I suppose. Yep. So I think that's that's been a wonderful preview of Aegis, and we probably shouldn't go into it any further unless there's anything else you wish to reveal or tease at this stage. Ooh, I, I yeah, I don't want to go too far into the setting secrets. I can I can sort of feel Ian somewhere like rushing for a keyboard, going no. <laughs> <laughs> So, so I, I will, I will say that I have obviously read the setting secrets chapter, and it's very cool, and I'm excited for people to see it. But I cannot tell you what's in there yet. Mm, okay, well, I will look forward to that, and I will look forward to doing the mental uh, labyrinth that will somehow tie it to Aether. So. <laughs> I, th- I think we've got a few Easter eggs in there you'll like. Oh, good, a Martians probably. <laughs> <laughs> There, there is a place that has a, an observatory, and uh, every once in a while, there, you know, the the starlight kind of comes down and takes somebody with them, which oh. is not quite what's happening in Aether, but you know, no, maybe, no, maybe, maybe I'll make that green. What's right? Yeah, there? I think they gave up on the abductions <laughs> over the last two thousand years, right? And just decided, <laughs> you know what? You know, yeah, we're just going to invade. We we've learned yeah. everything we can from these idiots. Yeah, <laughs> we're fine. <laughs> Uh, but one of those, one of the good things, and again, I mentioned this in the Aether chat I was in the other week. But the I like the idea of there being an, either an antagonistic group or a mystery group like the Martians, like Atlanteans, that acts as a pressing danger. They don't mm-hmm. have you don't have to start your game literally in the middle of a war zone, though you might. Yep, uh, but there being a looming threat provides urgency to character actions and character backstories. Yeah. Uh, every everyone loves a bit of a tragedy in their backstory. And so having had someone in prison, you know, taken captive, enslaved, killed by X means that you have a reason to rage against them. Yes. And uh, I think that it while it is a simple motivator, it's a very effective one. And... Tropes exist for a reason. Maybe, yeah, you know. Well, and as role players, and it's something I think we often don't address for some reason. We don't really talk about these games from a role player's perspective. Mm-hmm. We often do from a design perspective, but the idea of coming into this as a player, well. I'll ask you, uh, not to put you too much on the spot, hopefully, but if you were to create a character here and now and just think of the setting around you, the kinds of powers you might want access to or what your motivations might be, Mm -hmm. um, based on everything we've just been speaking about, what's the kind of character you would love to just draft up in the next 15 minutes or so uh, and bring to a table? Oh, that's a good one. I, I mean, I would, I would totally play an oracle. That's probably clear. <laughs> um, uh, be, just because I, I love, I love that that sort of dramatic tension that's there with them, and I would probably want to do it as somebody who was one of the explorers to kind of get out there and see what's see what I don't know and what mysteries are there for me. Yeah. Okay. 
Whether I'd give them a tragic backstory or not, I don't know. I feel like I feel like they would probably be a character who's uh hasn't quite realized what what they can do yet and what those repercussions might be. Hmm. I'm thinking some kind of fraternity driven Spartan. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, with all of the failings and foibles that would come with that kind of warrior culture, which obviously isn't quite as black and white as uh, Frank Miller's take right. portrays, but there, there are certain truths to it. And I would like to invert it so that the gifts I am I have received uh, upon encountering Ambrosia for the first time, are not necessarily warrior-based, aren't necessarily offensive. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of a character who is suddenly given the ability to, well, essentially help others, heal others, uh, do something to to pacify others, that kind of thing. Oh, nice, yeah. And, and therefore has the internal struggle of, well, everything I've been trained for since childhood is to basically slot a bastard with a sword. Mm-hmm. And uh, now I'm. <laughs> now I'm trying uh, to put them back together. <laughs> yes, yeah, I've been, I've been given the uh, the the benevolent gifts of Apollo and Aphrodite. How does that make sense? Yeah. Mm. Oh, I like that. Uh, so uh, with with Aegis Underwork, uh, are there any other books right now before we wrap up that you would like to again tease, mention things that you're particularly proud of in the contents? Of them, and if you if there's too many for you to list, I will pull one uh, out of the list you provided earlier. <laughs> um, well, I I am actually about to send the um, Dragon Blooded novella back over to uh, Danielle. Yes, um, yes, and so I I went back through that, and it's been you know I kind of got to look at it with fresh eyes, and I was like, oh hey, I really like this story. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, that's that's going to be coming out. Hopefully, I, I you know I know everything comes out when it comes out, but that is that is wending its way eventually into inboxes, and I I hope that people will dig it. And I'd also like to point out, I believe, and do correct me if I'm wrong, were you not on the um, Technocracy novella? Yes, yes. Yes. Uh, see, I, I I was recently looking through that, and your your work on that, your story was really quite captivating. Thank uh, you. The, te- the Technocracy aren't always a group in the world of darkness that I can grok as they say mm-hmm. uh, it, it sometimes feels a little alien to me the the mindset i suppose but the fiction that's been written up for this anthology of, of short stories it, by lauren and by other authors is great it really fires the imagination cylinders and makes you think of how you could create characters to fit in to this world into oh, the yeah. uh, technocratic union, but also how you can portray them as sympathetic antagonists. Yeah. I, I think that's the the great hurdle with the technocracy for me has often been to how to portray them with any depth. Uh, yeah. Beyond we are men in black or, you know, we just wish to shut down all your uh, wild creativity. <laughs> um, but yes, you and the other authors have done it very, very well. So. I'm in great company on that book. The other stories are fantastic. Yeah, it's it's a great piece of work, and that will be going out to back as soon, if not already. Oh, excellent. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, well, with that said, Lauren, uh, anything else that you'd like to plug before we wrap up this uh, this chat of ours? 
Um, I, I guess I'll, I'll probably just say if you if you want to find me online, I am. Uh, or am, I, am I jumping the gun on you on that one? No, no, you go for, right. go for it. <laughs> I am uh, at Falconess. It's Falcon like the bird. E S S E. Um, pretty much everywhere. While well, Twitter is still around, that's that's probably the best place to find me. I, I keep throwing that caveat in as well. <laughs> right. <laughs> I have a Mastodon account. It's falconess at wandering.shop. I mostly lurk right now because I have about enough capacity for like two or three social media things. And then the, like, the one that I'm using the least will fall out of my brain. So. Yeah. <laughs> And they can find me on Twitter. Uh, I, it still seems to be burning, but right now I'm I'm taking warmth from the heat rather than running <laughs> away from it. Uh, at Dawkins MP, I'm also on various social medias, but that's the best place to find me. That and the Onyx Path Discord. The Onyx Path Discord, listeners, is always the best place to go if you want to discuss any of our games. We do, of course, have a forum and we have the blog as well, but the Discord is the place you're likely to get an answer the quickest, and we have a server for every single one of our games. So do head on over to there. There should be a link to it in the show notes. Uh, But thank you so much, Lauren, uh, for spending this time with me and discussing Aegis. I think it's a very exciting-sounding game. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm excited for people to see it. Well, uh, yeah, uh, and I I hope that this draws a lot of uh, Trinity listeners and people who may not be familiar with the Trinity Continuum who are just attracted to the idea of role-playing in ancient civilizations and uh, using their myths in, well, in this way that, that really does sound quite appealing to me. Uh, so with that said, thank you very much, listeners. Many worlds. <laughs>